Moot Podcast for Advent 2013. At the Moot Eucharist service on Sunday the 17th of November, Vanessa Elston explores the theme of the Incarnation as the Hope of Humanity in the run-up to Advent 2013. Well, um, I have to start with a confession that... um I already knew what I wanted to say before I read the passages for today. And um, I basically wanted to speak on hope, particularly the hope of the Incarnation, because it's something Ian and me have been talking about. So when I read the passage, particularly the Passion of the Gospel, I thought, hmm, hmm, can I work the honoured tradition of making the passage fit what I want to say? And uh, I did really try this afternoon, but I realised that if I was really going to do this passage justice, I'd probably be here for about 25 minutes, and Ian would start puffing and panting. So, (laughs) in order to keep this homily at a respectable length, I have to confess, I'm not going to do the passage the full justice it actually deserves. And in some ways, I'd like to do. I am going to refer to it, but it's a little bit loose, so you will have to bear with me and forgive me. Um, so uh, we're approaching Advent and Advent is particularly for the church a season of hope a season of expectation and waiting and the church in a sense prepares itself to celebrate the birth of Christ the coming of God amongst us the long-awaited salvation of Israel and the whole world. But the church also looks ahead to the second coming of Christ, to the end of this age, and the complete and final redemption and liberation of all creation, where heaven and earth are going to be united forever. Whereas Malachi prophesies, The sun of righteousness is going to rise and never set, where all evil, injustice, sin, pain, sickness, suffering and death is burned up, and we are completely healed by the presence of God with us forever. Amen. Sounds great. Doesn't it? (laughs) But how are you doing in locating that cosmic hope in your own life. What does the hope of Advent really going to mean for us in the coming weeks? I really do believe in both the first and the second coming. And I don't know where some of you sit with that. But as someone who really does believe in it, I also struggle with a faith that is in constant danger of sort of becoming a bit tired and jaded where sometimes hope flickers very faintly and looks in danger of being extinguished. The church down the centuries has had to seek for a renewal of its faith and hope when the flame of its love and power flickered weakly and was in danger of going out. And I too am looking for a renewal of faith and hope, both for myself, for Moot and for the wider church in the West where the lived testimony of our faith, hope, and love appears to be flickering, perhaps a little dimly. 
The warning Jesus gives in our gospel passage today doesn't seem too hopeful. He's prophesying a terrible series of events to the people of his generation, apocalyptic events, the end of the world as they've known it, particularly the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, and the particular persecution and suffering that his disciples are going to have to endure before these events. Jesus really doesn't skip over the brutal truth of Israel's situation and the urgent nature of the times he lived in. And the Bible as a whole does not really do fantasies about human nature and the predicament we're in. It's why it offends us. We want to seem in better shape than we really are. But the other thing that the Bible does is at the same time as talking about crisis and destruction, it also always speaks of hope. And in this passage, Jesus doesn't leave his disciples without hope. Incredibly, he says that although they're going to suffer persecution and some may even die, not a hair of their head will perish. They will stand firm and they will win life the true life, their souls. Actually, I don't really like that translation. I prefer that they're going to win life. <laughs> but there is hope. There is hope, even in the midst of the suffering that's going to come. So where does this hope come from? And can it sustain us to stand firm through difficult times? Um, when Ian and I were discussing the Advent course, and Ian said he wanted to use the word hope, I rather grumpily said, oh, yes, but what does that really mean? You know, don't we all too easily in the church bandy about words like faith, hope, and love? You know, words that sound lovely, but can be in danger of staying in a sort of ethereal floaty space of sounding nice, nice thoughts and feelings, but they never seem to actually come to earth. Do we want more than fairy lights and tinsel? We need a hope that can connect with a world where there's real suffering and pain. The kind of hope that drives someone to start a campaign to redirect 12 million of unclaimed lottery money to the Philippines. I kind of get these messages, you know, on my... But I was kind of touched. I was kind of doing my last-minute preparation. The next email sort of flashed up, and I clicked on it, and I thought, you know what? That woman's got some kind of determination because she wrote to Camelot and said, look, can't we give this unclaimed 12 million to the Philippines? And they came back and said, oh no, it's not our money to give, you know, it belongs to the people who play the lottery. But because she didn't give up at that hurdle, she persisted, they've now said, oh, well, maybe we can go to the Department of Media and Sport because they might be able to decide. And I thought, yeah, go for it. You had the hope to persist, you're keeping on going. Go for it. And I want that kind of hope. So you can go to change.org and support her petition <laughs> if you haven't already. But that's hope that touches earth. It's hope that's doing something. And that's the kind of hope that I want. And Christians of all people, we're meant to be a people of that kind of hope. So how can we become a people who embody and live this compelling hope? A hope that others can see and remark upon. Because without hope, really, I know that my life founders and perishes. Human beings need hope like the air we breathe. We can't live without it. You know, we're in danger of sinking and drowning in false hopes and fantasies. And only true hope liberates us from despair. But true hope needs a foundation. A hope that's going to be real for humanity 
needs to be located in time and space in an event that actually happened. Something that actually changes the nature of our reality and sets in, sets in motion a course of events that's still unfolding today. Real hope is not to be found in our kind of imagined projections for a better world. Because humanity is in trouble and we're not going to get ourselves out of the mess we're in alone. And that is why I think the incarnation of God offers us a real and sure hope. Because it is a real time and space event. Not just nice words and thoughts or a projection for a better future but something that has really happened, that changes our space-time universe forever. Death, pain and suffering have not yet been eradicated, but something has happened. The physical world has undergone a fundamental shift in the coming of God as a baby. Mary says yes to God's plan for salvation, and the Holy Spirit enters Mary's egg and the word becomes flesh. Not of biological necessity, but of free choice. When I ask Olive to do chores, she always tells me I didn't choose to be born. Hmm. <laughs> and in a sense, none of us chose to be born. But Christ uniquely did choose to be born. And in that free choice is the beginning of real hope. Because Christ chooses to be born of his own will, chooses to enter into our humanity, chooses to unite God and humanity. Fully God, fully human. The reunification of heaven and earth has begun. The second cosmic bang has gone off. And our minds and hearts are still exploding with the meaning of this mystery us today and I'm just going to do a little bit of um, exploration of that mystery if you want to have more of it you're going to have to come to the Advent course but I'm just going to touch on a little bit of Greek Orthodox understanding because in Greek Orthodox understanding Adam which represents humanity turned we turned from our true vocation Adam was meant to be the mediator between God and creation Adam was meant to bring, Adam and Eve, <laughs> were meant to bring all of creation to the fullness of its potential in relationship with the creator. But instead, Adam said no and turned creation to himself. And with that, he locked himself into the physical laws of the universe of death and decay and with himself the whole of creation. So humanity and creation are set off on a course that is different to the one God originally intended. There is a rupture, a dislocation. The world is out of joint. And man and humans have become alienated from themselves, others, and God, and with them, creation. So Jesus comes as the new Adam, to bring heaven and earth back together, to begin to heal the rupture. 
the creator with creation. The new living temple. The Jews for them, the reason why it was so controversial when Jesus said that the temple was going to be destroyed was because the temple was the place where heaven and earth touched. It was the place where God actually dwelt. But Jesus was coming to build a different kind of living temple and to also offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice to reconcile, heal and restore all things back into relationship with God, the original vocation of Adam. And it could only happen by God actually becoming, by God and humanity joining into one person in a baby born in a stable. In that event is the source of all our healing and reconciliation and the beginning of the restoration of the image of God in each one of us. We don't have to become angels or souls without bodies. God has redeemed human beings, flesh and blood. Human nature is now in dialogue with God and with that is the hope of all creation. But it isn't finished. <laughs> but there is hope. Because something fundamental has changed forever. Hope is as physical and real as a newborn baby crying in a manger. And each of us has a foundation for hope in our own lives. It may feel small, and we may only catch glimpses, but the work of healing has begun. A new birth has happened in each of our lives. It may feel as small, crying, and vulnerable as that baby in the stable, but we are being invited to participate in a dance, in the dance that God started with that baby in the stable. God is calling us to participate. And that dance might lead us to difficult places. You know, the disciples had a particular dance that they had to follow in that passage. Not an easy dance. And in our own times, we have a particular dance. We're going to have particular struggles, things that we have to overcome. But the dance will take us all the way into healing and wholeness, to one day a fully restored and redeemed humanity and creation. It has started. But we have to say yes to that dance. Like Mary, we have to cooperate with God. Because God won't just override our will. God won't overwhelm us. Instead, the Spirit seeks to gently draw us in. And we can be stubborn and resist. Or we can begin to say yes and move in time with the Spirit. So it isn't finished yet, and we're only too aware in moot how small and vulnerable we are, that we've only just begun, and that despite all the difficulties and struggles, we can be a people of hope. We really can, because something has happened. And in Advent is the time when we prepare ourselves and we try and get a bit more of a sense of what it is that's happened that changes reality so fundamentally for each one of us. So what do we wait for this Advent? Well, I pray that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which we are called. 
the foundation of our hope in Christ, that we can become a people of hope who stand firm to the end and win life for ourselves and for those around us, a people who dare to say yes. Thank you for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net.